You know, with, uh, when it came to Paul, being able to say, it is well with my soul in the midst of trials was not always easy. In Second Corinthians, he said this, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Catch this, a messenger of Satan. You ever have a messenger from Satan hit you? To buffet me. That's a very strong term. Lest I should be exalted above measure. He prayed, he pleaded. God says this, I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, I take pleasure, therefore, in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress. Very important, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And even as Paul had to go through great suffering, we're going to be reading and studying about a man, Daniel, who also had to go through great suffering or potential suffering for the cause of God. And he came out, as you know, victorious. So let's pray. Father, again, we live in a very hard world, a broken world, where trials abound, where suffering abounds, where tribulation abounds. Father, we need your grace. We need your mercy. Lord, we need your strength in our life. Father, we ask that you would help us to be able to say it is well, even while going through deep trials, hurtful situations, hard times. Father, help us to learn from the life of Daniel, from his consistency and his uncompromising life, just to see how he was remain faithful during the, the difficult times, even at the end of his life. And yet he remained not only victorious, but he was also able to lead others to you. And Father, I pray that you would help us in our own personal lives as we go through very difficult times, that we would, we would quickly run to you for strength. It's easy to try to find our strength in ourselves. And Lord, I ask that you would just give us wisdom in this area and also to see how the trials that you put us through and allow us to go through actually mature us, actually make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see the, just the purpose that you have for us to go through these trials so that we might do it in a way that pleases you, that we might be able to gain all the character development that we need by going through the different trials that we are in at this time. And Lord, we also pray for those who we know that are not able to be here that are also going through trials. And I think of the Cochran family and for Rosie and the, the kids and ask that you would continue to comfort them and also the Latham family, that you would strengthen them during this very, very difficult time. Father, we pray that you would strengthen Pam and Wes and the, and the entire family as they uh, deal with uh, this situation as well. May they be praying. May they be sensing your spirit. May they truly be comforted as they seek to walk with you. Lord, thank you that we even have the privilege of not only going before you for ourselves, but we can cast other people's burdens before you as well. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. Thank you that we are not islands to ourselves, that we are part of this body, that we can minister to one another even through our praying. So, Lord, we just ask that you would be honored and glorified and praised during this time. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I didn't realize when I told my wife 
and the music committee about the subject matter. I wasn't quite sure exactly what I was going to speak on, but the, main, the whole thing is on trials. <laughs> and as I was singing each one of those songs, I was like, man, there is so much to be said about going through trials and on how we deal with them and what is the purpose of a trial. And, and again, we're going to be looking at Daniel and how he went through his trial even later in life. But again, let me just say this. The truth is we can learn much about ourselves and God when life is hard. Is that true? <laughs> See, we don't learn sometimes when life is easy, but we learn a lot many times about ourselves and about God when life is hard. One man said this about trials. He said, quote, this is what a trial is. To prove by testing an event that demonstrates the genuineness of your faith in Christ and refines the quality of your spiritual life. Let me just, three main, three key words. First of all, it proves. <laughs> it proves something. You go through a trial, it proves something. It proves your life. But then it also demonstrates the genuineness of your faith in Christ. Have you ever been at the beginning of the trial and basically shook your hand at God? <laughs> well, that said something about the genuineness of your faith. Not that you didn't have faith, but how you were relating to God, and that's the third part, that it refines the quality of your spiritual life. In other words, it really shows us who we are and how we're relating to God, and then it does something about it. It changes us. A trial will change us. It will either change us for the worse or for the good. That's really what James 1 is talking about. If, a, if, if we do not receive the trial and have faith in God, what it'll end up doing is causing anger and bitterness and frustration and hurt in our life and actually drive us away from God, drive us into sin. But if we have faith in God, if we have trust and can cast our care upon Him and our faith in God is strengthened, well, then we are matured. But again, it, it proves us. It tests us. So again, a trial is a painful circumstance allowed by God to change my conduct and my character. That's what the trial is there for. My conduct is what I do. My character is who I am. Now, I, I'm saying that because, you know what, we're all going through trials of some sort. But sometimes we don't see it for the reason why God has given them or allowed them in our life. We can shake our fist, we can get frustrated, we can run to other counselors, but not even run to God himself. <laughs> I'm not saying it's wrong to run to other counselors, but God has to be the primary one. Trials turn out to be God working in me to change me. Now again, you could use some different word for the word trials. How about this? Hardships. Do you have any hardships? Suffering. Bible would say many times, tribulation. You could even use the word discipline or chastening. Remember Hebrews 12? If the Lord loves you, he's going to chasten you. That word chasten is the word padia. Now, the only reason I say that, over in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition. The teaching or the instruction, that's the word padia. The point is, is this. When it comes to God instructing us, sometimes it's a very positive thing, but sometimes it's chasing, it's negative. But it's the same word. It's the same padia. 
What do you mean? Pity is this. When a father looks at a child and he says, you know what, I see that you need, area, you need to grow in this area. And I'm going to allow something in your life. Now, again, our Father, our Heavenly Father is sovereign, so He can sovereignly arrange this. And He says, I'm going to arrange something in your life so that you will grow. You're going to grow in this area. And, the, and it's going to be a trial. It's going to be a hardship. It's going to be suffering. It's going to be persecution. It's going to be something difficult. But I'm arranging it specifically so that you will grow. That's the reason I'm sending it. It's pain. Well, in today's story, it's the lions. But we we have these hardships, but again, if we don't see them from God, from God's perspective, then sometimes we miss the entire reason, and then we'll have to go through it again. (laughs) Because God will get his lessons across to us, right? Is that true? See, it's not like a human father where we walk away saying, well, they're just not going to get it. When it comes to his, his, his children, God's children, us, Uh, I'm going to make sure they get it. And if they don't get it with the first trial, they're going to get it with the second one. I'm going to get their attention. And they come in different intensities, these trials, these hardships. Sometimes they come by, as it were, by storm, fast and furious. Sometimes they actually alter our life forever. Or it can stretch over months or years, sometimes decades. They can be small and irritating. They can be huge and shattering. You know, I mean, it's, they come in, that's why James 1 says um, various trials. And the word various is polka dot. We get the word polka dot. You know, think about polka dots, all different colors, shapes, you know, variations. Think of your trials. We're all going through, I think we're all probably going through something. We just have to identify. See, sometimes we don't identify them. Like if I was to look right now, I would say, yeah, I'm going through some trials. By the way, trials, when taken negative, are temptations. You going through any temptations? So again, they come in various sizes and shapes and intensities and forms. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're relational. Sometimes it has to do with economics. Sometimes emotional. Sometimes they're circumstantial or spiritual. I mean, they're... Like I said, they come, and sometimes they're real intense. Sometimes they could just feel like you're going to you know, be brought to the point of being crushed. But again, God sends them, padia. Padia is the word, the whole training process that a father and mother goes through to <coughs> instruct and change their child. That's what God's doing. He's, he's seeking to instruct and change us for, to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have to accept that from the hand of a God. As I've said many times, from a, from a father who, who filters our trials. And some of us have been assigned very hard situations. They've been assignments from God. So again, this discipline is training, it's chastening at times, chastening. Some of us, some of us bring on our trials because of our sins. By the way, this is very important as we look at the, as we come before the table in another 20-some minutes. You know, are you walking with the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't come before the table in an unworthy manner. You invite chastisement in your life. Oh, yes, it's still from a loving hand, God, but, you know, it's because we brought it on ourselves. We were unwilling to judge ourselves. The point is this. God says, I love you. 
So I'm putting you through what, what will bring the best out of you. That's the point of the trial. See, he saved us and he started this process and he will continue it to the day that we die and meet him. He's going to continue to work in us and many times it's through the hard things, the suffering. And by the way, when he's all said and done, then you meet him. When you're all said and done with trials on this earth, you meet him. Because you're going to continue to have them until the day you take your last breath. By the way, that was Daniel. If, if you go to chapter 6, hopefully you're already there. By the way, the way Daniel split his 12 chapters, the first six is biographical, personal. We've been meeting the man Daniel. Next week starts chapter 7. Hopefully we get through this one. And uh, No, we will. And uh, it's prophetic, uh, prophetical. Prophetic. Okay, so 7 through 12 is... Now you say, but I remember chapter 2, that was about the image, yeah. But that was just uh, really showing how Daniel responded to the king. We're going to get into the prophetic as of next week. But I say that to say this. Uh, verse 30 of chapter 5 says, uh, The very night Belshazzar, Belshazzar, king of Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. That then carries us into chapter 6. Knowing that Daniel was brought into the uh, captivity around age, maybe between 14 to 18, that puts Daniel at this point around 80 plus years old, mid-80s. This is at the end of Daniel's life. So if you think of Daniel in the lion's den as a young man, that's not how it is. He's an older gentleman. He's 80 plus years old. What do I gain from that? I've got to always remember this one important lesson and you can learn it from Daniel, that it is incorrect to think your hardest trials are behind you. Most likely, your hardest trials are in front of you. Again, Daniel had some issues in chapter 1. He had to stay true to not eating the king's meat. You know, he had to tell the king, but I mean, he was in the higher echelon of the government, correct? But now at the very end of his life, he's... He has, there's another king that's, you know, it's no longer Nebuchadnezzar, it's not Belshazzar, it's Darius, but he had to make a choice, is he going to remain faithful? Your hardest trials, most likely, are still in front of you. Well, let's look at these, and again, we'll, we'll get through the first few verses very quickly from last week. You have the promotion of Daniel, again, Darius assigns 120 satraps in verse 1, but then he also assigns three governors, for the most part, and, I, and it says that Daniel was one, verse 2, most likely being that he wanted Daniel to be the supreme one of the three of the 120. <coughs> so that's the promotion of Daniel. Why? Because Daniel had, verse 3, distinguished himself. He had excelled. He was of excellent spirit. In other words, he had a great attitude. If you're going to have somebody in charge under you, but over everything else, don't you want to have someone with a great attitude? <laughs> someone that's teachable, learn. Is looking out for your interests as the king, loyal. You can say a lot about Daniel, and you can see how he responds. But again, he had an excellent spirit. I would say also probably had a magnetic personality. He had great influence. By the way, you know that, because when he's about ready to be thrown in lion's den, the king is all upset with himself. Remember this, he only knew Daniel for about a year, or less than. Less than a year, and this guy is like, oh, you know, my best man, I'm thrown to the lions. So we have the promotion, but then anytime that you are excelling, other people get jealous, and verses 4 through 7 is the plot against Daniel, and you remember that. 
It basically is this, that one little part in the verse that says, some sought to find some charge against him. And they come up with this conspiracy to say, basically, for 30 days, the only one that you can pray to is you, king. Kind of worked off his pride and arrogance. By the way, at this point, the king was not saved, King Darius. And so they do the plot. And look at verse 10. You see the personal life of David, when, Daniel. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this was the decree that said you could not worship anyone except for the king. When he knew that it was signed, he went home. By the way, he didn't go home to hide. He just went home because that's what he always did in the afternoon. And he went home to do something specific, and that was to pray. He was going to do exactly opposite of what the decree said he had to do. The decree was, if you worship or if you pray to any other than Darius, you're going to be thrown to the lions. He just went, it says he went home. Why? And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, so everybody could see, because that's the passion of his life. He knelt down on his knees. That was the position. Three times that day, just like normal, just like normal, and prayed and gave thanks before his God. By the way, his convictions stabilized his consistency. He, it was because he, he, was, he had the conviction of going before the Lord. That's why he was consistent. Sometimes we, be, we try to become consistent in something when it's really not a conviction. It was his conviction that stabilized his consistency. Look at your own life. If you say, you know, I'm very inconsistent with prayer or Bible study or witnessing, then you know what? Ask God for conviction in that area. Go back to the root. Because the convictions will stabilize your consistency, make it, you know. Now, just think about one thing, just before we leave this particular verse. Let's think of some things that we know of Daniel. Because as we go on down, we're going to see this. He was, the, he was the only man standing. And this is, he's the only man that we find that, that breaks this commandment at this time. Now, again, we know Ezekiel was there for a time. We don't know if Ezekiel has died by this point. Because, again, Daniel's 80-some years old. So Ezekiel may have... He, we know that Ezekiel was brought to Babylon. We just don't know where he is at this point. Most likely, he had passed on. But Daniel was standing alone. He knew there was a true God. He knew who he was. He knew that he was powerful. And that the true God, if he chose to, could deliver him. I mean, this, you know, you, you, we know this of Daniel up to this point in his life. But this is his point. He knew that obeying and serving the one true God had to be the supreme priority of his life. All right. I want you to understand this with Daniel. As he goes to that room, opens it up, he understands the true God. He understands that he's powerful. He understands that he is his servant, that he could be delivered if, if God wants to do it. But his, his, his supreme priority is this. I need to obey you and I need to serve you. It's not about the consequences. Daniel understood who God was, who Jehovah was. He had walked with him for, for decades. I mean, this is decades. I remember when uh, James Boyce, uh, just before he died of liver cancer, he, uh, and he was in his 60s, I think he just turned 60, 61, something like that. I so hope that if I have to go through this, I have his response. He was told that he had liver cancer. It was going to be a short time, a couple, year, a couple months at the most. Turned out to be less than two months. 
He, he stood up and he basically said this, I know who God is, he is sovereign. Because people were asking, should I pray for you? And how do you, how do you want us to pray? He said, the Lord knows, I have prayed, I have left my, my life in his hands, and whatever he will do, he will do. And he was resolved in that thing, you know what I mean? But here's a 60-year-old preacher, because James Boyce was a preacher of 10th Presbyterian down in Philly. But the point was, is I am totally resolved in God. I am totally at peace and totally at rest. Whatever the Lord wants to do in my life, he knows. He is powerful if he chooses to heal me. Praise God. If he chooses to bring me to home, praise God. Whatever is, praise God. That's how we have to look at life. The other thing we find out about Daniel is not only his faith and his trust, but whatever he was in inwardly, he was outwardly. He showed it publicly. He could have very easily said, oh, the decree is that I not pray publicly, so therefore I will pray for the next 30 days, but it will be just to myself. To myself. I will pray in bed. I will pray with the windows closed. No, that's not what he had done for the last 40 years, 50, 60 years, so he just does what he always did. He was, his, his convictions were consistent, and even though it might end up being that he would be thrown to the lion's den, he was consistent. I think for us, we need to make sure that we are consistent no matter what happens. If you were, were going to say it and then someone walked in the room, well, would you still be willing to say it, even if the, otherwise it's fear of man? Let's look at the fourth, the prosecution of Daniel. Uh-oh, the violators identified. Verse 11, And these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication. Of course, he's predictable. <laughs> he did it in the morning, afternoon, and at night. It, was in, it wasn't hard to, to catch him because he was so predictable. Verse 12, And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions and obviously you know the story yes so again let's let's think about this day what's happened they probably got the king to sign the degree the, the, the decree in the morning waited outside daniel's home because it would be an up on the upper level and watched him until afternoon hit there's daniel windows open like normal oh there's daniel going down on his knees yep there's daniel he's praying they grab him maybe one o'clock Hustle him off to the king. So, you know, we're happy, probably this whole thing happened in the day. Easy to catch him. He's so predictable. It was easy to convict him because he was following the true God. The question, is, you know, that hits me is, is there enough information to convict you and to convict me of walking with the true God? It was easy enough for him. Or are we secret service Christians? By the way, every secular culture hates the true God. You think back to the, the, the um, Christians in the, Rome, uh, the first century. By the way, Rome was pretty lenient. You know, we think of Rome as the ironclad soldiers, and they did destroy, and they, I mean, they were the beast, and we're going to see that in Daniel 7. But the point is that Daniel, or, uh, Romans were actually very lenient when it came to religion. You can worship any god you want. There was all kinds of gods out there. Greeks had all their gods. Romans had, you know, they had the pantheon and everything else. The only thing, though, is this. Every year, you had to take a pinch of incense and throw it on the altar and make the pledge 
of your loyalty to Caesar by saying Caesar is Lord. After that, you could go home and have a great year. Okay? Just throw the pinch onto the altar and say Jesus, or, uh, Caesar is Lord and go home and enjoy the rest of the year. That was the one sticking point. Because the Christian said, no, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. By the way, that's why that, that was why the phrase Jesus is Lord was like the, uh, the, the, the Paul Revere's uh, message for the early Christian church of, no, Jesus is Lord. That went cataclysmic against the Roman government. That was why they were thrown to the lions. That why, is why they were brought into the gladiators. That's why they were tortured. Just that little thing. It's going to be the little, it's not little, but I'm saying to the Romans it was little. Just take the pinch, just throw it on the altar, just say the word. It's like a person telling you today, don't say Jesus is the only way. Just be quiet about that. I mean, if you want to go in this direction of Islam, or if you want to go in this direction of Mormon, or if you want to go in the direction of Jesus, just accept it. Just the pinch. No, Jesus is the only way. And in that one sense, they will hate you. By the way, other things that they might hate you for, that is a baby in the womb. That is not just a piece of flesh. And when you kill it, you've killed it. You're killing a human. And two men, Marion, isn't. That, that is um, perversion. By the way, let me give you one that isn't something in Scripture. You've got to have a gun. <laughs> if they come to take your guns, all right, there's a gun. Right? That's not biblical. Standing for life, standing for purity, standing for Christ is the only way, that's biblical. We've got to know the difference. With, with uh, Daniel, praying before God was his... That was what he was consistent at. He had to do it. If it wasn't, he was. If he hadn't knelt down, opened the windows, that would have been a, a selfish, self-centered. I'm not serving God at this moment. Action. Well, verse thirteen. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who was one of the captives from Judah, that was like seventy years ago. They're still bringing this up. You know does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed. By the way, he did show. Remember, Jesus said, Render to, therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God. And Daniel said, listen, I'm not going to pray to you. I'm not even going to look. It's not even going to look. Because see, if he hadn't done that, what it would have looked like is that he was praying to only Darius. Now, I'm going to render to the Caesar what is Caesar's. But as Peter said to the officials, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, the king, verse 14, heard these words and was greatly displeased with himself. By the way, I think part of it was because he knew he had been tricked. <clears throat> now, think about this. He only had known Daniel for a very short time. But again, he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. That's an intensive, that's a very intensive verb there. He was trying to figure out any way to release this elderly gentleman that he was planning on putting as second in command over all the kingdom. And he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver him. That's why I say, I think, 
I think the decree was in the morning. Daniel prayed in the afternoon. And he was, he was trying to do this to the going down of the sun. So for those four or five hours or whatever, he was trying to figure out, how could I get around this law? See, the Medes and the Persians said this, if you make a law, because there was the Medes and the Persians, it could not be revoked. So that's the prosecution of Daniel, that whole. And then we have the penalty carried out. And these men, verse 15, approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the uh, Medes and the Persians. See, he, he can't change. It can't be changed. So you've got to cast them in to the den of lions. And, and some liberal commentators at this point have said, well, you know, these were toothless pussycats. They, they didn't have any guts to them. You know, it might have only been a couple. But let's say this. They, were, they would use the strongest and they would starve them. The whole point was that when a... When food came, they would go after it. C.F. Uh, Kyle, which is the German uh, commentator, said this. He said, you can, you can know what, was, uh, what these dens were like because they found some of these lion's dens literally in Morocco. They were large, square, subterranean caverns divided by a center wall. That way they could transfer the... The, the animals from one side to the other and the way they would do that is because of the you know they would literally put a person and then the beasts would go and then they would shut the wall and they could clean the other side so they had two openings those openings and then one above where you could watch it you get the idea I actually looked it up I couldn't find any on, I couldn't find any on you know an image of a just a cave I mean a, a cave but you get the idea the other thing they would do, and you see it in verse 17, they would then place a stone over the mouth where the, where the prisoner had gone in, and then they would seal it. They would seal it with a signet ring. And verse 17 also says, not only did the king's signet ring get on that clay seal, but also the signets of his lords, the nobles, they also sealed it, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. By the way, that's real, and I think that's important because when it comes in a moment where the king realizes that Daniel lives and he throws those guys in and his wife and their wives and their children into the den, I think he just goes back and says, okay, who signed the paper? Signed the clay. So that signet ring. So that's the penalty. The stone was brought, laid on, on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it. So here now Daniel's in in the lion's den. And what's going to happen? The next one is the protection of God's servant, verses 18 to 23. And we see the angst of Darius. Now you say angst, what do you mean? Well, angst means the anguish, the anxiety, the torment of this king. He went through a lot that night. He did not enjoy that night. It says, now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. Kings don't fast. And no musicians were brought. By the way, the word musician is the word diversion. There was no dancing women. There was no food and feasting. There was no diversions at all at that day. And he's just angst. And his sleep went from him. Then the king rose very early. I mean very early. Because the decree was to the next day. Let's see. He runs to the cave. He went in haste. That's again, that word, that particular verb is the intensive. So he's, 
He's tossing and turning. He gets up early and runs to the king. Kings don't do that. But again, this one did because I believe he had a great affection towards Daniel. Why? Because Daniel had a good name. He had a good reputation. He had established that in less than a year's time. He had, he had great influence on this king. So verse 20, he came to the den. He cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. By the way, that showed some faith. Just the fact that he ran, just the fact that he's at the cave. Probably hoping for the best, believing the worst. You know, Daniel. And the king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has God as your God. Now, I want you to connect a couple words here. Living God, that's a real important phrase there. Living God, has your God, whom you serve continually. In other words, even though I've known you only for a short time, I know that you've been serving this God many, many years. Has he been able to deliver you from the lions? And, and you see that word deliverance used by uh, Darius four times. Has he delivered you? See, this is, this is a test, not only for Daniel, but it's a test to know, is your God the true God? You say he's the living God. There's all kinds of gods in Babylon, but the question is, is yours the true God? Was he really the God who is alive, that could rescue his servants from the mouths of some famished lions? See, all the Persian gods were supposed to be alive, but when push come to shove, they couldn't do that. They were impotent. They were dead. I, I, I won't turn there, but remember when David goes up against Goliath and basically says, who is the armies that are, deni- or that are um, oh, not denying, Wait, I just lost it, um, defying the armies of the living God? See, that was, the, that, was what, that was the whole issue with David and Goliath. How can these armies go up against the army of the living God? By not beating the Philistines, you're saying that your God is not living. Daniel wanted to show, or David wanted to show that God was living. Here's the case where Daniel, and through this whole narrative, we find out that no, Darius is going to know at the end of this, yes, Daniel serves the living God because he's powerful enough and he is willing to rescue his servant. So the response of Daniel, let's see what, now Daniel, by the way, Darius didn't have a good night's rest. But I think Daniel did. Well, he was safe in the arms of God. So this is what Daniel says. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel. And I believe the angel there is like in chapter 3. That's Jesus Christ. I believe it was... Christ literally who stopped the mouths of, uh, of the uh, lions. By the way, not only the mouths, but the paws. You ever see a paw of a lion? Could have been destroyed. With, no, they, I believe it was Jesus Christ. Just like in chapter 3, verse 25, I believe it was Christ. Christophany. Shut the mouths of the lions so that they have not hurt me. Because, because why? Because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. I was innocent before God, and I was innocent before you. I did no wrong. And that is one of the main reasons, the purpose. I, I want to give you a few purposes now as we finish this narrative. One of the purposes for the trial was vindication, to prove that Daniel was innocent and holy. 
They had accused him of wrongdoing. He went into the lion's den. When he came out of the lion's den, he said, listen, I was innocent. Sometimes you are brought through a trial, and at the end, it's proved that you are innocent. By the way, sometimes you're not proved innocent in the sense that on this earth, (laughs) but you know in your heart you are. But the trial itself vindicated Daniel. Verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So they took him out of the den. There was no injury. See, there were no paw marks. (laughs) And he was found because, why? Because he believed in his God. Another reason for the trial, it proved Daniel's faith. Not just that he was innocent, but that he had faith in the true God. He believed in his God. Faith. If you think about Hebrews chapter 11, it's the faith chapter. And in verse 33, it says this. Who, talking about the men of faith, and he had already talked about Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Samson and David. But then it says in verse 33, who through faith subdued the kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. You know, a reference of Daniel in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. It proved his faith. By the way, in Hebrews, if you go on a little bit farther, farther, it says this. See, the first part of Hebrews 11 shows all the victories. People who did not die, but because of their faith, they proved that they loved and honored God. But then it says in verse 35, others were tortured. By the way, we need to hear this. Because again, in, in, a, in the midst of prosperity theology, that everything's going to work out okay for the Christian... Hebrews eleven thirty three. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, they, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. By the way, that's probably speaking of Isaiah. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they, were, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, and it goes on. No, it doesn't always happen this way as with Daniel. You don't always get rescued. Sometimes you die. Sometimes you're mocked. Sometimes you're you're, uh, maligned. Again, Isaiah, it is believed, got sawn in two. Paul had his head, I mean, he was beheaded. Peter, they say, was hung upside down on a cross. He asked to be hung upside down so that he wouldn't die in the same fashion as his savior, he wanted to be hung upside down on the cross. There have been martyrs throughout all of history of God's dealings with men who have believed God and have still been killed. I, I mean, I just want you to get the... Because we read Daniel and, oh, <coughs> if I have faith, I will be delivered. And no, that's not how it always works. But in each case, whether they were delivered or not, they were never defeated. In Hebrews 11, think of it this way, they were never defeated. If Daniel had been eaten by the lions, he, wouldn't have been, he would have been in the presence of God. That would have been what? Victory. That would have been victory. But then he comes out of the lion's den, and that's also victory. He couldn't lose. Why? Because he had faith in God. That's the point. He had faith in God, he couldn't lose. 
But that's what James 1 says. Blessed is the man who endures temptations. The word is also trials. For when he has been approved, he will receive what? The crown of life. You can't lose if you're walking with God. Let me give you another illustration. This happened a few hundred years ago. The author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. And I've told the story, but it's so moving. He was imprisoned under Charles II. If Bunyan, now this is the point, he's in prison, but if Bunyan had been willing to sign a statement that he would not preach in public, he would have been released. In fact, that same day he would be released from prison. That was what was holding him there. All you have to do is sign your name. He was incarcerated for 12 years, but he could have been paroled any day if he would just agree to the terms. During those 12 years, he had a dependent wife and, a little, and little children, one of whom's name was Mary. Mary was blind. Mary, it, says, it was said, of, would go to see her father in the Bedford jail. In the dungeon, Bunyan often thought of his poor little Mary, and his heart would almost break. On one occasion, he was heard to say, quote, What sorrow thou art likely to have in this, my poor blind one. In this world, O Mary, thou mayest go naked and hungry and beg in the streets and be beaten and starved, and I can do I can do nothing to help you. Bunyan remained in dungeon, and he gave all his concerns, blind Mary included, to the keeping of God. It was towards the end of his imprisonment that he wrote that glorious passage in, in defense of himself, in the sense that he said this. If it shall please him to let frail life last that long, the moss shall grow on my eyebrows before I surrender my principles or violate my conscience, end quote. I will not capitulate. <laughs> I will not capitulate. Well, he's out. What's the next verse? Now the king throws that, the wicked men in, you know, the ones that signed the... Signed the uh, decree, those who had accused Daniel. And they cast him in. Now just notice this. And their children and their wives. The king's very harsh. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces, which means shattered them, before they ever came to the bottom of the den. That really disproves the fact that these were toothless lions that weren't hungry. But now notice what happens. We come to another thing. See, this, this trial exposed the fact that Daniel was innocent, that Daniel had faith. But now, God is glorified. That's the other thing that comes out of this trial. Verse 25. The, the king, then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, languages that dwell in, the, in all the earth. This, catch this word. Peace. Be multiplied to you. We say this shalom. Same word, chapter 4, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, peace. And I believe with that one word, I think you see something. I think you see a saved king here. Notice what he says. I make the decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. But notice, keep going. For he is the living God, and steadfast forever, his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He's the one that's going to have his kingdom endure. 
He delivers miraculously and rescues and works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who, who has delivered Daniel. And he goes on. See, this, this, um, this trial not only exalts the true God. By the way, that's what our trial should do. People should look us, uh, us going through the trial and say, how do, they, how do they respond that way when everyone else would respond different and it glorifies God? But also, I believe it, the trial itself showed Darius, he's the true God. And I think he gets saved right there. Just that word, peace. He was not a peaceful man. The verse before, he threw everybody in. But I think somewhere in there, I think it, it hit him. Wait a second here. He's the true God. Salvation is of the Lord. And then finally, verse eight, 28, the final verse, the, the prosperity of Daniel. And Daniel prospered. By the way, the word and uh, in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus can be translated even. That's why I say, I think, the word, I think Darius and, and Cyrus are the same man. Now, some may disagree. I will say this, though. It is not the Darius the first of, of, of Ezra chapter 4. Let's just make sure of that there was at least five different Persian kings who, were, who was called Darius. So I believe that this is one of them, not Darius the first, though. So, dear, uh, so Daniel prospers. By the way, we find out in chapter, chapter uh, 1, it says, Daniel continued under the fir- until the first year of King Cyrus. I think, by comparing notes, this is what happened. I think Daniel has great impact on Darius. It's during that same time that over in Ezra chapter 1 that Darius makes the decree to let the Jews go back to Babylon. But it sounds like, according to chapter 1 of the end of Daniel 1, that then he's done. He only actually was an official, he was in official capacity only until the first year of Darius. I.e. this, after about 86 years, Daniel retired. That's what I'm trying to say. I think he retires. I think he spends his time praying and uh, you know, studying the scriptures. And now as we get into chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, we find the prophetic part. And much of that, I think, is during his retirement. I think he ends up getting some of those visions during the time that he's not actually acting as an official uh, of the Persian government, but he is you know, spending his time praying and uh, studying the scriptures. And he... So what does that tell me? There is never a time in your life, no matter how old you are, that God can't use you. Don't ever get into this idea of retirement from the Lord's ministry, from the Lord's service. So we've been studying about a man who's been going through a lot of hard times. But we realize for today this, that trials have a purpose. Pain has a purpose when it comes to a child of faith. Remember Daniel. He's vindicated. No, he's innocent. That's one of the things the trial said, because he came out alive. He believed God. God was glorified, and a pagan king was converted. I mean, there was a lot of things that was happening, right? A lot of good things that were happening, even though he had to go through the trial. I would encourage you, as you look at your own difficult situations, that you say, you know, Lord, how are you working in my life? And maybe he won't give you that. Maybe he won't tell you the why, but I can say this, that when it comes to a child of God, 
when it comes to, we win either way. Some die, some, some remain living, but the reality is this, because Jesus Christ is living, we win. No matter what we go through, we win, as long as we continue to walk by faith. As long as we have trust in God, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't even want to ask the why, but I do know this, that I can trust you. That last verse, and Daniel prospered. You know, most of what he wrote in these next few chapters that we're going to be studying as far as 9, 10, 11, and 12 was, I believe, because of the, how it's written, it was wrote after the lion's den. Now think about that. Another reason for trials. It makes us useful to God. It makes us sensitive to who God is. Do you think Daniel kept going back to that day, that night he spent in the lion's den? Do you think that as he is talking about the sovereignty of God in chapters 9, 10, 11, 12, do you think he would be reminded, yeah, do you remember when I stayed the mouse and the paws of the, I am the one who is sovereign. I am the one in control, not only of lions, not only of your life, but of all nations. I think it has a direct correlation of how Daniel and his faith in God, because from that point on it says, and he prospered under King Darius. You go through trials, we do it for the right, as far as having faith in God, and God continues to prosper us and continues to use us for his glory because we've gone through that trial. Praise him for it. Only he can do that. Take us through a hard time, make it better on the other side. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Forgive us for those times when we shake our fist at you. When we ask the why with a, with a gritty teeth, as it were, and just saying why. Lord, help us to have a stronger faith and trust in you, knowing that you are good and you are sovereign and you are working your plan out, not only in this world, but in our own individual lives. And as we walk with you, we know that we are going to be more and more useful to you. So, Lord, we just ask that as we go through trials, that our eyes would be set on you, that we would be strengthened by your mercy and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.